Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right. Good day. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So real quick for our newer listeners, a quick reminder, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. And we love to bring on new and exciting guest co-hosts. We have a few repeats along the way, uh, but we have another new guest co-host for you. And she's definitely going to be helping us figure out how to balance these three. And she's got one heck of a background. So let me go ahead and dive in and give you a little intro on her. Um, Quick question. Have you guys ever felt stuck? Uh, because she's going to help you figure out another way around that. So she's the author of the brand new book that I'm holding here on video, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, Live Your Best Life, which debuted as number two in the Washington Post bestseller list right behind, that's right, Michelle Obama. So she's a serial entrepreneur. I've already hinted at being an author. We're talking about a world-class speaker, Definitely somebody who's really hardcore into their motivation, which I'm also with this brand. And uh, let's go with a lightweight champion of the get the hell out of your own way world, people. Oh, by the way, as a health and fitness nut, she's also a competitive rower and professional badass. So welcome, Laura Gassner-Odding to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. You, I love bringing on people like you because there's just so much of a diversity of background and it makes me feel better because I feel like I have such crazy background that I feel like I'm a weirdo. <laughs> you know, I, I spent 20 years doing executive search, and I will tell you that the most interesting people, in fact, really the only interesting people, were the ones who had right turns and left turns and U-turns. Like the people who graduated from college with a degree in accounting and spent 25 years at Arthur Anderson and, you know, retired with the gold watch. Oh, snore, right? They were not interesting they hadn't ever failed they hadn't ever like they haven't ever sort of faced their their limits and figured out what they could do to break through it and the people who do that are the ones that are the most fascinating always it's all about the uh they don't they don't want to have to be horror stories they don't have to be like trauma stories but to be fair i love a little of that kind of tossed in along the way because it shows you've actually like thickened your skin up a little bit one hundred percent. You know, I um I ran my first mile ever when I was thirty eight years old. Like like of my life. Like, like I was like not running, you know, running? like you've never ran. Never ran. Like I had every excuse possible to get out of PE when I was growing up. Like I I like I you name it. I had the I had the malady. And um, <laughs> like I went to computer sleepaway camp. Like I was a massive massive nerd. I'm still a massive nerd. Um, but when I turned. Uh, 38, I walked into my kid's school and the, um, the head of the school was standing there and I hadn't seen her for a while. And she's like 65 years old. And I was like, Ellen, you look fine. Like what's going on? Like you lost a lot of weight. So either you've been really sick or you met a man and like, <laughs> you look way too good to have been really sick. So like, what's his name? And she's like, well, I did meet a man and his name is Mike, coach Mike. And then Ellen proceeds to drag me to this disgusting, dirty, dank, dusty um, uh, uh, gym floor in a local boys and girls club. And I start doing boot camp with her. And I wasn't heavy. I wasn't thin. I was just like, I was, I was 38. I'd had two kids. I started some businesses. I travel a lot. Like everything just kind of hurt a little, you know? So I started doing this stuff. And at the end of boot camp, 
the coach would make you run laps around the gym and he like would give you these little teeny straws. You had to like throw the straws down every time you get around a lap mm -hmm. and you had to go like 37 times before you got to like a mile. Because it's a and small it took facility. Me, <laughs> yeah, it took me six weeks, six weeks until I could actually run the mile without stopping to like heave and puke and, you know, for real. And then at the end of the mile, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to three, I'm going to string three of these together and I'm going to do a 5k. And so I did a 5k and then I was like, I could do that again. And I'm going to do a 10k. And the next thing you know, I live in Boston. So yada, 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 I'm running the Boston marathon. Nice. But when, you know, as you know, when you do marathon training, the furthest you ever run in training is 20 miles, right? So mm -hmm. I get to the 20 mile mark, Kenmore square. And you know, I'm, I'm, or I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Brookline and I'm like, I've got, you know, six miles to go. And there's a voice in your head that says, you're going to do this. Like, no matter what, like run, run, crawl, walk, like you're going to be a marathoner. And then there's that other voice in your head. That's like, what are you doing? You crazy person. You're going to die. Right? And those two voices start talking to you in that moment. And you have to decide which voice wins. And I think people who have tested themselves, who have pushed themselves to the limit, who have figured out what they're made of and who decide which one of those two voices wins. I love talking to those people because it's like those Rubicon moments that there's a before 20 miles and then there's the after 20 miles. And you're not the same person on the other side of that Rubicon as you were before. Now, I, I love what you're hitting on here because you're obviously discussing the proverbial wall. Almost any running book that's ever discussed marathon running, they're always talk about the wall. And I love the fact you actually picked the 20 because, yes, by the book, they talk about that. But for me, when I ran my first marathon, it was like mile 22 to 23. Like I came up on that and I was expecting it to be there. So I, had, I was waiting for the mental game to kick in. And by the way, to, to reinforce what you're saying. The, the, the negative mindset, right? The, the mileage signs actually are not helping, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. I had, I'm like you. I had no running background. I Because I can do subtraction. I'm like, yes. if I've gotten to 10, that means I still have 16 more, right? Like, I, I know I, how the math works. I was like, dude, I, I mean, okay, first 10, not a big deal. It's like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm progressing. But then, yeah, that, that mental thing comes in. You're like, you get tired of seeing the mileage signs. And I went from no running background to doing a marathon. So I'm, I'm even crazier, well, maybe definitely not normal, uh, but I didn't even do a 5K. I just started training for a marathon and did it. And don't recommend that, by the way. Do what she did. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please go do like a 5K first, then a 10K, you know, do the half marathon, like build it up. Don't just be a jackass and go train for a marathon. Uh, you might get injured a couple times. <laughs> Yeah. So you will get yeah. injured a couple yeah, times. Tight IT bands. I, I found the power of chiropractic care. Thanks to that. Um, a lot of massage therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I really jacked that up. Plus I also tried training in only three months instead of the recommended six to 12 months. So, Oh yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you read the books, but here's a choice since you're an author, you read the books, but do you actually pay attention to the content that you're absorbing? <laughs> no, because I mean, Albert Einstein said that all knowledge is experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, unless you have gone through it, you don't actually know. Like now I row and it, when you row, so I, I'm 48 and, and my, my max heart rate should not be 195, right? Like that's, that's high for a 48 year old person. But when you're rowing, you basically spend four minutes in a, in a thousand meter race rowing at a 195, you know, heart rate. And it's intense. And it's you and a boat of seven or three other people and you can't stop. Like when you're running, you can 
you can stop, you can slow down, you can walk the water stops. But if you stop when you're rowing, you literally like get an oar to the ribs and get ejected out of the boat. And with your broken ribs, you have a hard time not drowning. So, you know, you can't stop. And I remember my very first race, we got to the 750 meter mark and we're flying. I mean, like I, when you row, you row backwards. So I can see the rest of the pack is, is behind us and I can see that we're winning and we're just going faster than we've ever gone in practice. And I'm feeling my entire chest expanding. And I remember thinking to myself, I, and I'm rowing and I'm like, I wonder what happens now. Do I die? Does my chest explode? Is my heart going to explode? What's going to happen? I don't really know. And then the race is over. But it's that moment because I had tested myself in the marathon where I'm like, I don't know what happens next. I've seen the wall and I've pushed through it. That suddenly I had the knowledge because I actually had the experience of knowing what it was like to see my limits and ignore that part of my brain that lies. You know, you have the part of your brain that lies to you and says like millions of years of evolution says, get the hell out of here, mm-hmm. run from the run from the dinosaur. But the truth is that there's pain and there's suffering and pain is sort of short and it's temporary. And it's a thing that's like the rate limiter. But if you have a longer, if you, if you can suffer, then you can actually get through the pain and realize that it doesn't actually get any worse. It just sort of continues at that rate and you can actually get tougher and push through it. I mean, you know this, like with your background with hotshot firefighting, I mean, you've been in all these situations oh, where it's- Oh, like, the Karen or Tom catch you up? Because a lot of people don't come on the show and they don't know what crazy crap I've done. <laughs> oh, well, no, I read your bio because I spent 20 years doing executive search. I mean, I like do your homework. Mm. I was, people should come on your show. Future guests on the show- do your homework. It's a three sentence bio. You yeah. can read it. <laughs> I tried. I tried to chunk it down a little bit. You know, <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm actually working on on my first book. So I, I get to follow amazing people like you. And the book's been written. I'm just in, stuck in editing phase right now. So. So why are you stuck? Because I, because I didn't actually write the book. <laughs> I decided to take a challenge to a different level, and I decided because I travel so much that I would voice transcribe the book. Oh. So great app is called otter.ai. Yes, I love otter. And so I, I just on a business trip, I figured out, I started hacking it. I'm like, dude, if I can record for 15 minute sessions, I can lock out at least a couple thousand words, 1500, two grand. So I started doing this. And it, that's how I started chunking away at it. So the, the writing or speaking of the book went great. And then I'm like, oh, and then I export the data. And now I've got to rebuild the chapters into proper paragraph format before I can handle on to, to a, a better editor. So I'm still just finishing that up right now. So I have a little competition with another entrepreneur who's in a, a private author group that I'm in, a mastermind group. And he just Facebook messaged me today. He's like, oh, by the way, I finished editing on Friday. And I'm like, you son of a. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know if what he's finished editing is any good. He's a multi-author. Um, <laughs> okay, so you know it's pretty good. I mean, why do you have to be the one to edit it down? Why uh, uh, there are tons of editors who take um, it's a passion project. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm with you. I I support outsourcing. I love this topic, yeah. and uh, but this book is going to be a, a book that's going to give back to the fallen hotshot community. So it's a story of my transformation through becoming a hotshot and what I learned from it and and the lessons that I still carry forth today. Uh, but I want to tell some of that journey because I knew. Uh, I mean, you're in Boston, but did you ever hear about the Granite Mountain hotshots in California that were killed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I knew them. Like we served on the same fires together in 2010 and 2011, mm-hmm. and then they died in 2013. 
So I still, actually it's coming up in a few months. Every year I host a fallen firefighters CrossFit workout in my friend's CrossFit gym. I raise money. I get shirts made. It's a side little passion project. It's not, that's not some huge nationwide thing. Uh, but obviously thanks to the new movie that came out last year, only the brave it's created some more exposure. There's some more well-established, uh, charities now and everything else. So I'm going to give back with that book. I want to donate, Right, but I don't understand why, because you're giving back with the book. Doesn't mean you should outsource. Because the time that you're spending working on this is still taking away from the time that you would be spending on your businesses where you make money. I agree. So just because it's a charitable thing doesn't mean you should give it less attention. Call me out, Laura. Call me out. Because it steals from where you have more value. I I greatly – my biggest goal was this. I wanted to make sure I at least skim through each of the chapters right now, and I made sure that my points were still there, and they weren't being missed. Then, yeah, the fine-tuning, I'm happy to hand that off. Yeah, I just – I got to make sure that – there's some key points I want to make sure weren't lost. Um, and again, Otter is amazing, but the voice transcription is not perfect. It's not 100%. Um, yeah. So I'm just I'm just skimming through everything, making sure that the, the, the theme and the points were there, and then I can just hand it off. Because thanks to this podcast, you're right. I have tons of people in my back pocket that I've had on the show that are ghostwriters or uh, editors and all these people. It's amazing. Like I'm sure you've learned this, right? Like As we grow and we take on all these new challenges – this the key, your keyword of a limitless is amazing because your resources become almost limitless. Absolutely, I um look. You know, you have somebody on your show who gets people unstuck. You just told me you're stuck somewhere. I can. You told me you told me I got to co-host and I can ask you questions. That's it. So, you Call know, me out. You basic. You basically opened the door to the, the <laughs> Jewish mother calling you out on that. So you know, I'm told that I'm a I'm a that I'm a kick in the ass surrounded by a warm hug. So that was a little kick in the ass. Mm. Um, but it's it's really true. Speaking of kicking kicks in the ass, I had um, a woman by the name of Carrie Lawrence, who was the first female F-14 fighter pilot uh, in the Navy. I mean, mm. like, you look a badass in the dictionary. There's a picture of her standing there in her, like, sleeveless leather dress, like, looking you down. She is just tough as nails. And I called her up, and I was like, Gary, I would love um, – you don't really know me that well. We've had dinner a couple of times you know, with other very speakers. You're so amazing. I would love it if you would um, consider blurbing my book. And I sent her the draft of the book. And she called me up a couple of days later, and she's like, can we, um, can we talk about your book for a minute? She's like, I would love to do it. Absolutely, you're a badass. That's great. I would love to support a fellow badass. Two days later, calls me up. Can we talk about your book for a minute? Hmm. I'm like, okay. All right, am I allowed to curse on your show? Oh yeah, I don't care. I don't edit anything. All right, good. We keep so it real. Then I'll keep, <laughs> I will give you the direct quote then without editing it. She calls me up and she's like, listen, you're really fucking smart mm. and your book is really fucking good, but you're too fucking smart for your book to just be really fucking good. Ooh. So make it really fucking great and then I'll blurb the shit out of it. Wow. See, wow. you can tell she's got a military you background. About, like, <laughs> you can tell she's got a military background. Yeah. <laughs> and... I was like, I know, I know that it's good and I know that it can be better, but I can't figure out what's wrong. And then she spent 45 minutes on the phone with me, which were like the 45 minutes she had to do her workout before she gets in the shower to get what she calls show pony ready to then go on stage in front of 10,000 people. So it's like a really important 45 minutes. She spends 45 minutes on the phone with me, helping me identify exactly the thing that I needed to do to change it, to make the book really fucking great. And then says, and not only that, I'm going to introduce you to my editor who will help go through the entire book and help you out. And then this editor charges me really not a lot of money. And honestly, like I felt like I was like running away from a bank with like a bag of cash, you know, like wow. with a little like blindfold in the bag yeah, of cash. Yeah, because editing me. can be expensive. I mean. This was not yeah. at all. She lives like in upstate New York. And I like, honestly, like I, 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 
I triple checked the 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 invoice because I was like, are you sure this is right? This is not enough. You should be charging more money. Um, of course, I've now coached her to be like, you should be charging more money. Charge yeah. everybody else more money. Um, but it was having the access to somebody who could say, this needs to be better. It's not good enough yet. It's not worthy of you yet. And then here's the editor and here's the way, here's the way to make it better was was phenomenal. Like I do, you know, they say that you're the, the average of the five people you keep closest to you. And let me tell you, it is, it is so true because I can tell you exactly the Rubicon moments for this book when it got better, when the title changed, when the cover art changed, when it became the kind of thing that was, um, that, that would take fire as -hmm. opposed to what the original book was going to be, which was going to be called purpose doing work that matters. Which a lot of people discuss. But I Which agree. a lot of people discuss, and the book does discuss, but Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life, hmm. it's a little catchier. Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And the funny thing is, she's not even, I mean, this this counseling you received, like, she's not even, well, she, she's not even like an official, like, author coach, right? Or is that part no. of it? No. Like, she just ripped it ripped it wide open for you. What was, she her, what was her last name again? It was Levin? Carrie Lawrence, L-O-H-R-E-N-Z. She is incredible and she's a great speaker and she, um, you know, she's one of those people who makes, you know, 35 to $50,000 a talk. She's just a hugely in-demand speaker and she just, the fact that she barely really knew me, we were just friends on social media and had dinner like at a table of 10, you know, a couple different times. It's just, it's the people who sort of get in your sidecar and, you know, they're like in your wolf pack and they just support you and they're there and it's, I'm, I'm exceptionally lucky to have had people like that along the way you know mitch joel who i'm sure you know through the through the podcasting world pixels has been he's been like the godfather of this book he was the one who as i was writing it gave me the other incredible piece of uh of advice which was stop writing (laughs) i was i was i was working on the book and i was working i was working i was working and finally he said you're trying to fix your first book by shoving your second book into it he's like stop Mm. writing he's like fix the first book Leave everything else on the side, and that'll go into the next one. So, like, 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 you need to close that chapter, so to speak. You need to close it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, you're just in, you're in muddied, you're muddied in two different worlds. And, and yes. actually, real quick, because the reason why I asked you her name again was because I remember discussing the first fighter pilot, and that was uh, J- Jenny Levitt, I believe. And you you clarified it was actually a to- she was a Tomcat, wasn't she? She was F fourteen. She was a Tomcat. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, so now thank you for clarifying that. And actually, you know what? We haven't done some screen sharing yet during this show. Yeah. The and then you watchers. have you know you have people like um, Amy McGrath who was the the first Marine fighter pilot. You know, yeah. I mean, there's they're they're in each of the branches of the military. But yeah, there she is, Carrie, yeah. in her leather dress, and she's just <laughs> she is she is smart and she is kind and she is just insightful and she also will kick your ass five ways from Sunday if she knows that you can do better. So, you know, I could just, I'm looking at her and I see you because, you know, obviously I dug into your background too. And actually let me pop over to your site. So like you, you ladies exude power. You have that confidence. You, you come across that way just in your, just how your photographs on stage, like there's, there's that, that energy there. Right. Well, it's the sleeveless. It's funny. I'm, I'm in this, <laughs> this like double secret society uh, of speakers on Facebook. Uh, and somebody posted something about how when women get on stage wearing sleeveless, they're actually perceived as less intelligent than if they go on with their arms covered. And I was like, well, they haven't seen my arms because my arms would make <laughs> Michelle Obama blush. So. <laughs> and, and I love that because uh, I tell people all the time, it's funny because my, my now wife, um, you know, she and I are big into, you know, CrossFit. She's a, uh, she's, she can destroy me in a pool. Uh, if you want to find the one sport that I, I need to work on, 
<laughs> it is swimming. Uh, yeah. But she's she's been doing triathlons the past couple years. I mean, she's a, she's a badass veterinary doctor, and mm. uh, and she works on you know people's racehorses and stuff. I don't know, uh, but uh, and I do know. But but the point is, is that I tell people all the time, like I am not attracted to. I don't want to, pardon the term, not weak women, but I love strong looking women that care about themselves and they take care of themselves. Is that a proper way to say it? You like, you, 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 you're attracted to proud women. Maybe. Yeah. Take pride, take, yeah, take pride in yourself. But I think everybody should, whether you're a male or a female, well, shouldn't we? But we're not, we're not all at that place in the timeline though. I think this comes into our discussion today, right? About being limitless too. Is like, okay. In the beginning, you might not have a lot of belief in yourself. It's okay. We've all been there. I mean, how do you talk to that with people? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I have so many people come up to me and they're like, well, I can't do all these things right now because I've got young kids or I've got student loans or I've got, um, you know, aging parents. Or there's always some thing, right? There's yeah. some excuse. And and I want to just like put it out there that some of these things are real, right? Like if you're taking care of a spouse who's going through like a cancer diagnosis, like there, there's some real shit that's out there. Yeah, that's, and I, that's I don't want to belittle that. That stuff is, that stuff is real. Yeah. That said, I think most of the excuses that we make are just that. They're excuses. And this is this is where the brilliance of my 16-year-old son comes into comes into effect. So I have a 16-year-old son who I woke up one morning and I had I had a chapter due and I and to my publisher and I just had had like a shitty night of sleep and I just I I knew I was just not going to get anything done because for me like sleep is my kryptonite. Like if I don't get a good night of sleep, I can't put words together. I just can't. I just can't. You, make just, it you just dropped a huge health tip. People underestimate the power of rest and recovery. Yeah. Sleep is everything. Sleep is a hundred percent. I mean, it is the ultimate elixir. You can you can have all your vitamins and eat all your superfoods and have your kombucha and your acai berries and all that stuff. But if you don't sleep, you're toast. I mean, yeah. it's it is sleep is a big big deal. Um, so I woke up that morning and I hadn't slept very well and I was just like bemoaning my lot in life. I was just really, you know, miserable. And um, he's like, well, just go on a side quest. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's a side quest. Now, I don't play I'm video tr- games. Treat. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't play video games. And any of your listeners who play video games are like, oh, yeah, of course. So, okay, bear with me. If the main quest of the video game is to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess. Okay. Right? But before you can do that, you're waiting for your friends to log on, right? You're waiting for friends to log online, but they're busy, you know, doing their dishes or getting harangued by their parents about homework or something like that. So you're waiting for them. You're sitting around. What can you do? If you want to go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess, you have to have a horse and a sword and potions and elixirs and all that sort of stuff. So what can you do while you're waiting? You can go on side quests. You can tend your crops. You can till your wheat. You can take the wheat to the market. You can sell the mar. You can sell the, the wheat for money. And when you're at the market with your money, you can buy the horse and the sword and the elixir, so that when your friend finally logs on, you can to go to the castle, slay the dragon, and save the princess. So, so many people are like, I don't know, I can't do it. I'm not ready. I haven't. I can't run the marathon because I haven't run a mile yet. What can you do? You can start watching your nutrition. You can start eating more. You can start reading books about running. You could get to know coaches. You can have informational interviews. You can, you know, read books about changing your career and living limitlessly you can um, listen to podcasts like this right there you can watch ted talks there's like a billion things that you can do in the 15 minutes or the 55 minutes of your commute every day to be ready so that when opportunity strikes you can get on the horse go to the castle slay the dragon save the princess i like it so tend your crops leave it to a 16 year old gaming kid 
to apply side questing into life lessons. <laughs> I mean, is that genius or what? And he said that to me, and I was like, I'm yeah. going to write about that in my book. In yeah. the chapter, <laughs> see, we're not we're not parents. We're we're going to be the we're, we're we're all about being the cool aunts and uncles. Um, so I feel like there is a need for that. Um, but but I love the this the simplicity of it, right? The, the people a lot of people say this. There's a lot. There can be wisdom found in the simplicity of a youth's mind, right? They haven't been Absolutely. muddied or distracted by everything that you and I have. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, in our years. And here's the thing: like all like everything that we're doing are all side quests. And some of those things end up being relevant to our main quest right now, or some of those things end up being relevant to our main quest 20 years from now. When I started my last company, I used a strategy that I had been taught in college, right, 20 years earlier. I didn't realize that that class was a side quest until I used that knowledge in my main quest. So we don't know. So all of the things that we're doing, the people that we're meeting, the information that we're discovering, the the the, the information that we're onboarding, it may be relevant now, it may not be, but it's all stuff that's useful as long as we keep our eyes open. You know, they say, what do they say? Like, um, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. No. Right. So it's all preparation and you just have to be ready for the opportunity. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you sold this executive search firm and decided to become a speaker and author. And suddenly you're like being booked on stage and you've got this best selling book. Yeah. You're an overnight success. It's like, no, no. <laughs> I took me, you know, how long did it take me to write Limitless? Three weeks. How long did it take me to come up with Limitless? 25 years and three weeks. Right. <laughs> so, you know, preparation and, and opportunity meet and become luck. I love your reference there to even the book again because I've actually second guessed that. I thought not with second guessed, but I thought about it. I'm like, you know, why did it take me this long to write the book? And I was worried, like, did I wait too long? And all these little things start popping in your head. And I'm like, you know what? I just needed a few years for the past to become the past, right? I mean, I'm not a hotshot anymore. You know, it was only two years in my life. It was an, it was a way for me to take a break from the corporate space. You know, I mm-hmm. step away from big business before I became an entrepreneur. And it's like, okay, that was a necessary step. Um, to be fair, that hotshot lifestyle was a side quest. That wasn't on the original game plan. I had spent years trying to hustle in the corporate space, then paying my way to go back to college on nights and weekends to get my degree in marketing. And then, boom, it wasn't originally marketing. It was supposed to be uh, IT management, I believe. And then I decided to switch it to business management. And then I decided to switch it to marketing. And then I figured out that I could dual major in psychology, side quest again. Then I ended up figuring out, wait a minute, I'm not going to be a PhD in psychology. I love psychology. It's helped influence the creation of this show. Uh, but then I figured out, wait a minute, the credits are done. I can just graduate and move on and go try the firefighting career. So I banged out the degree, graduated, stuck to psychology as a minor from the side quest, and then moved on to the next chapter, which was the firefighting. So I love the fact that like you made me think about all these little things that were all side quests, but have amazing stories tied to them. Right. So here's why the book took you this long to get to. Okay. Because if all knowledge is experience... Albert Einstein, with all due respect to our dear friend Al, I think all wisdom is framework. And it mm. took you, you had you had the knowledge through the experience, but it probably took you the two years to form the framework so that you could tell the stories in a way that isn't just, here's a wall of smarts coming at you, yeah. but here's the actual wisdom that now you can take from this and learn and put into your life. Very true. Yeah, because I mean, again, I served in 10 and 11. So my head was still messed up from that. I mean, there's pros yeah. and cons that came out of that, but- uh, I mean, it, it affected my own relationship. I mean, Kristen, God bless her, she, she broke up with my ass. I mean, <laughs> so I have, I've been on a couple of- You were of ro- a hot mess. 
I mean, this was years later, though. And I was like, well, I didn't realize that I, w- I could not let go of that. I love the adventure and mm-hmm. the, the, the breaking through all these different limitations in those two years. Like, it changed my life. But I, I had such a high from that. I wasn't able to move on and embrace the next chapters properly and fully, like being back here on the East Coast and everything else. And I, I've actually been on a few <laughs> romantic uh, podcasts because they're like, oh, you should write a book about that. I'm like, why? They're like, do you know how many people want to like win their ex back? I'm like, yeah. I was that guy. Like I was spending money online. I figured out that all of my passions into personal and professional development, you'll love this. I turned that off, channeled all that energy into a side quest to figure out why she broke up with me and then took the next 90 days to study and win her back. And wow. then people should write a book about that. I'm like, no, I'm first of all, I'm, maybe, I don't know. But the, <laughs> the point is, is that it took somebody to call me on my shit and pull my head. I mean, literally, I've said this on multiple. It took podcasts. somebody you cared about to call you on your shit. Yeah, and pull my head out of my ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought I, I had. I was like, you know <laughs> she's what? a she's a veterinary doctor. I think she has a lot of experience pulling. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, uh, good point. <laughs> she literally has a degree in pulling heads. I out literally of ass. never thought about it that way before until right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's also, I mean, like yourself, strong highly intelligent woman. I mean, she went to Cornell and UPenn, and she also has a doctorate in chiropractic care for animals too. So it's like, I don't know how I stumbled across her. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yet that's the point, right? It's like everything you and I are talking about right now. I love this because there's so many of us that are early. We were earlier in our timelines, weren't even fathoming these things. And how do people, I mean, fast forward to today where you're at now, like, the book, obviously speaking on stage, do you still get high off of connecting with those people? And like, oh, it's okay, yeah. guys, you know? Yeah, I love it. There's there's a there's a moment you get on stage and you and you you tell a joke and somebody on stage left laughs and you go, oh yeah, I got a connection. Yes. It's like it's like immediately uh, addictive. It's like I just I want more of that. And you know, it's funny because the very first talk I ever gave was um at tedx cambridge and that was um, on your site right that's on my site yeah Yeah. in fact the picture that you showed is from there and i had no interest in speaking i am very happy to be stage left like i love being the person who i just love being the person who makes other people look amazing that's that's Mm -hmm. what i've always done and then i sold my company to the to the women that helped me build it and a friend of mine called me and said, would you consider doing a TEDx? And I said, no fucking way. <laughs> and actually that same 16 year old, it was 14 at the time was sitting in the passenger seat of my car. I took the call of course on speakerphone. Cause I'm a good mom. Didn't mm-hmm. want to use, you know, wanted to be hands-free and I hang up the phone and he's like, so mom, don't you always tell me I should do things that scare me? And, uh, don't you always tell oh, me that if it doesn't change me, it doesn't challenge me, it doesn't change me. And don't you always tell me that life starts on the other side of the fear. And I was like, yeah, your boy, like, your so, boy is uh, calling you on your shit. Yeah, he's like, so what gives, mom? And I was like, fuck, I have to do this, don't I? And he's yeah. like, yep. So fast forward six weeks later, and there I am, no notes, no net, big red circle, and 2,600 people at the Boston Opera House, giant theater lights, and all of a sudden, I'm giving this talk, and I crushed it for like 11 and a half minutes. And then there's a point where I look off stage and you can see that I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. Oh, really? Oh, come but then on. I like took a breath and I pulled it back in. And I will tell you, there is nothing 
quite as loud as the deafening silence of 2,600 people just waiting for you to say the next line. (laughs) You can hear them breathing in and out. But then you get off stage and you're like, that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. So far. And it was amazing. <laughs> and you're like, and I want to get back on there and crush the whole 12 minutes next time. And it's it's just a really, I, I, I'm i still very early in my speaking, but I'm, I've, I've done Same a lot way. of speaking to crowds of 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. And I love it. I love people coming up to me afterwards. And because I when I did the TEDx talk, I can't even watch the TEDx talk actually anymore because it's so not good compared to where I'm now. Like I was in speaker voice, right? The whole time. <laughs> now I get up on stage and I'm just like cocktail party me. I get up and I tell stories. And you're comfortable. I'm so comfortable because I know my topic so well. It's so great. It's what I've lived. It's the last 25 years. And I love it. I have such a good time. And, and, and I love getting Instagram messages and Facebook messages and Twitter uh, tweets from people telling me like they take pictures of you on stage with like the words behind you, something that you're saying that influences them. And they say like, I love this badass lady. She's so sassy. Like, and it's just, it's really fun to do that. Well, and I love what you're going with here because there is that energy that can't be faked. Right. I mean, yeah, in the beginning, you know, you're you're worried about your first time doing a major speak speaking event. And because I've gotten into public speaking, too, but I haven't gotten to the thousands yet. I think my largest audience was 200 so far. So, hey, baby steps. Um, but the, the funny thing is, like your earlier point about the the pause, the pause feels like it's forever. And then you go back and watch the video later. And it was like a couple of seconds, like nothing. Yeah, so here are the two <laughs> amazing things I've learned about the pause. The first is that the the talk that you're giving, the speech you're giving is actually a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And your audience members had things to say. They just don't say them out loud. So they'll say things like, hmm, that's an interesting point. Or I never thought about it that way. Or, oh, that was quite a truth bomb. Or I wonder why she's telling me that, right? These are the things that are going through their minds. They're just not saying their part out loud. So you actually have to give them time to think their thought so that they can then think mm. about your thought. Again, they, you have to give them that time, number one. Number two, when we speak, we think we have to get up and speak like this in this measured tone of voice, which is really difficult to listen to and really boring to say. And what I learned was that it's not that I talk too fast. It was that I didn't pause enough. Like you can talk at your regular, mm. regular conversational tone. You just have to pause longer to get people to like get back into your time zone for them to catch up with you. So the pause is actually super useful because it provides places for the audience members to think and to breathe and to catch up with you and then to keep going while letting you still be your same energy and your same person on stage. Because I would imagine like me, you're energetic and you're powerful and you're physical and you move and you talk and the audience is in it with you. I get off stage and I look, I wear um. <laughs> like a fitness band, I wear a whoop and yeah. I get off stage and I look at my, I look at my, um, heart my rate. heart rate when I'm on stage and it's incredible. I'll burn like 575 calories in 45 minutes when I'm on stage. Cause I'm, cause you're engaged. I'm in it. Yeah. You're in the zone. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. great. It's really fun. Uh, it goes back to, uh, we've talked about this show a couple of times about many times actually about flow state. Like you're in that flow, man. It's, you're, it's like, it's like doing a fitness competition. Like you whether it be rowing, whatever, like you're in the zone and it's, you're on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love that because the pause is key. It's funny because I am my own worst self-critic. 
And I still listen to every single podcast I release. Most podcasters don't do this. When I'm traveling, I go back. I am a subscriber to my own show. And I go back and I listen to every single show. Maybe that's me being OCD. Maybe a little, I don't know. But it's like, Yeah, so what have you learned? What have you learned from listening? What have you changed? Sometimes I talk too fast. Also, admittedly, I do run the app on 1.5 times. So... (laughs) If I do think I'm talking so I too hope fast, you talk too fast. <laughs> so, but but I, but even even with that, I've gotten that good where I could tell. Well, I do sound fast, but I sound faster than mm. my co-host. So it's trying to equalize that. And then I'm always worried about: Am I over talking my guest co-host? Because people who aren't as experienced with this stuff, like you've done about 80 of these things or whatever, so people don't realize that sometimes internet lag is something you have to plan for. Mm. So you don't realize that. You may come across when you hear it later that you over, I might have overspoken you or you might have overspoken me or whatever, but it's, it could have been just something as simple as a technical issue. It might have been internet lag. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Those are good things to see. Yeah, people don't realize that stuff. So, But ah. I, I've learned the power of strategic pauses in speaking. Well, I'm learning it. Uh, I, feel, I truly believe we can never stop learning. Um, but because, especially if you're making a powerful point. Like it does, I don't want it to come across like theatrical. Do you know where I'm going with that? Like I don't want to be theatrical about it, but if there's something really powerful and I really want to make sure they digest it, yes, I totally understand what you're talking about now. Because I'm like, yes, let's pause on that. Let them yes. really get the point. Yes, yes, yeah. It's 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 interesting because I've learned the difference between speaking and performing, and mm. you can perform without it being theatrical, right? It's it's the same. There is. There is a, like a, a full embodiment of of performing a keynote that's different than like speaking a, a speech from behind a podium. You know, it's yes. just a completely different. It's just a completely different experience. And 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 I and what I love about speaking is that I do feel like it's asymptotic, right? Like it's this asymptotic curve. You are never going to perfect it. You're just going to get closer and closer and closer to the best that you can do it. And I love that. I'm I'm fascinated both by the asymptotic curve of 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 the craft of speaking. Like how do you how do you master the craft of speaking? And I'm also fascinated by the business of speaking itself. Like why do some people get on stage for some amounts of money and some people get on stage for other amounts of money? And I'm interested in how it all works. Because I, you know, I think, you know, how do you how do you go, you know, do you speak for money? Do you speak for book? book buys? Do you speak for um, exposure? Like, why are the reasons why we're on stage? And what are all the ways that we can, what are all the ways that we can count value, right? For some people, it's cash. For other people, it's selling a lot of books. You know, it it just depends. For some people, it's getting really good video so that they can have a great speaker reel with, you know, a really fancy logo behind them and their branding. You know, it's everybody counts value at different parts of their career differently. And I, I'm interested in, that. I mean, I love puzzles. It's why I love doing executive search for 20 years, because I love the puzzle of understanding who somebody is and what makes them them. I'm sure it's the same with you while you do this podcast. Yeah. It's uncovering that, that, that what, how you motivate and inspire somebody to actually move forward. I'm the same way about this. And, and once I figure that out, who knows what's next? I love your connection on that. I mean, I've started studying a little bit more also about the speaking world because I've met, I've, I've had professional speakers come on the show that some were authors, some were not. Uh, some had their own podcast show, some didn't. It's interesting how everybody chooses their different media. And I tell people, like, you don't have to do everything. It's just like, it's like mm-hmm. social media. You don't need to crush it on every single social media channel. If you are, then you must have a whole team of people, like, I help people grow their brands on social media. I'm like, uh, no, you don't need to crush on every channel. It's okay. Yeah. Like maybe you're not a tweeter. 
Um, my one client guy rules Twitter. I don't know how he does it. I could, I have like 400, 500 followers on Twitter. I could care less about Twitter, <laughs> you know, but to your point, it's, it's fun. You want to dig into these intricacies and, and try and figure it out. And I am impressed by the, the, the business of speaking because, um, who's, the guy's got the number one entrepreneur podcast right now. Uh, Frizella, you know, Andy, Mm-mm. you ever hear Andy Frizella? He only, he's had some very successful supplement companies and uh, you'll love him because his brand is the MF CEO, the motherfucking CEO. Nice. So, <laughs> That's but, some language I can get behind. Yeah. I mean, he just calls it out. But he, he said, you know, he, he's been doing speaking circuit for a while, too, because he's been a successful you know, entrepreneur. And he said recently in the past six months to a year, he, he's just been declining a lot of speaking events and people offer him a lot of money to come out and speak. And he's gotten to the point where he's like, you know, I'm tired of seeing people, the same faces, come to these events. They absorb all the knowledge. They, take, they got their notebooks. They're taking the notes. And they keep coming back. And he's like, you're just like these people are spinning their wheels. They're not taking any action on the content. And yeah. I love this point now because I wanted to bring that up when you started talking. I'm like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you dig your brain into that? Because I... I was guilty of that. Like I do believe in the power of events and meeting amazing speakers like you, but there is a disconnect there. There are some people just never taking the action. Yeah. I have, um, I have always, uh, told people who come to work for me that if they're in their same job three years after they've come to work for me, that I've failed them. Hmm. Interesting. I, I've, I have had people in every job from executive positions all the way down to administrative positions. And I'm like, if you're still working for me in three years in the same exact position, then it's not, it's not you, it's me. Like that's, that's an issue because either they should be gone because they're not cutting the mustard or they should be growing. Um, and it's interesting because I have had, I had to tamp that down at one point. Cause I had a young woman who came to work for me who said, well, I want to be in this job for the next 10 years because over the course of those 10 years, I also happen to want to have a family. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, my, I am always going to be loyal to you, but I am also going to split that. I'm going to care. You know, my, my, my attention is going to be somewhere else. So I would like to become an expert in this job so that I can do this with 80% of my brain when I'm also being a mother. And I was like, all right, well, that's you're, fair you're, enough. You're a mom. So I, I respect sure, the truth yeah. on that. I mean, I, I get it. And even if I wasn't a mom, I would get that. I yeah. would say, okay, well, that makes sense. Like that, that is not stagnation for you because other parts of your life are also growing. Right. But I just, I think, I think stagnation, you know, it's. That's scary for me. Well, several <laughs> years ago I got into acupuncture and, and I, you know, I, I come, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a daughter of a doctor. I've always believed in Western medicine. I opted for the second C-section. Like I, I believe deeply in Western medicine. But I thought acupuncture was interesting because the whole idea of acupuncture is, you know, they put needles in and it's supposed to move blood around and it's supposed to move the stagnant stuff. Mm -hmm. And the stagnant stuff is supposed to be the stuff that like creates, you know, cancer and all kinds of other disease. And I just think, yeah. yeah, I think stagnation is really bad. I think when we don't move our bodies, it's bad. I think when we don't move our minds, it's bad. I think when we don't move our hearts, it's bad. Like we need to be constantly moving. That's evolution, right? Like that's an important thing that we should be doing. So I, I, you know, I'm fascinated by people. I've had, I've had executive coaching clients who have called me and at the end of our sessions have said, you know, I've done Gary V and I've done Tony Robbins and I've done, you know, Gary Grant Cardone and they'll name this person, and that person, and, the other one. And, they're like, and nobody's been as good as you. And I think, yeah, that's great. Except now you're going to do somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like opinion shopping, right? And so I don't know. I think I think there are people who want 
to move forward and they're the ones who will get in the muck and the dirt and do the hard things and then there's the ones who go and they like to sit and they like to clap and write a lot of notes and then they go home yeah i agree and i think that feels like motion to them so i mean i've been guilty of this for the past few months i've been using this quote and it's not a stagnation quote it's really just to tie this all together i just started all of a sudden just start saying this quote that, you know what, we're just all at a different place in the timeline. And I can't tell you how many times this keeps coming up again and again, and you just did it again. It's like, I'm thinking about the people that are stagnant and it could be just due to their past, or maybe they just haven't been stimulated with the right piece of information yet to just boom, pop that lock. Or know? it could be that they're thinking I can't do anything cause I can't do the main quest. And mm. they don't realize that the side quest is actually an option and is forward motion. And for some people, all of the side quests are necessary to eventually build up the stamina and the confidence right. and the strength to finally hit the main quest. Exactly. Because where does confidence come from? It doesn't come from saying, I mean, like you and I are unusual. It doesn't come from saying, I'm going to go run a marathon. No. I've never run before. I'm going to go run. Where does it come from? It comes from putting one foot in front of the other and saying, oh, I can run the mile. Oh, I can do three miles. Oh, I can do six miles. And every time you put one foot in front of the other, you display competence. And when you display competence, then you have the confidence to dream a bigger dream. So these people who are not moving forward or not move, they don't have the confidence about that, but they're not thinking about the side quests as ways to give themselves uh, the competence to have um, the, the confidence that those big dreams are actually realistic for them. You know, I can even take it even earlier than that. Before even, you know, I, I bought the book uh, Born to Run. Love that one. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still a minimalist. I, I've run Spartan races in my Vibram Five Fingers. People think I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, hey, whatever. Uh, but even before that, because uh, I don't run marathons anymore. I think it's crazy. I'd rather, like, I'm actually training right now for my first 100-mile ultra mountain biking race. I've I've done 100-plus 100, 100 mile, 100 mile events on a road bike. Never done on a mountain bike, so... That'll be fun. Uh, but my point here, though, is that marathon, that side quest. I, a, a friend of mine was, this is years ago, a uh, huge rugby playing dude, went to Lehigh University here in Pennsylvania, and then um, he was a computer programmer, and his hands could palm my head. I'm <laughs> like, dude, you were the largest computer geek that I've ever seen. I love it. And I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, I'm going to go down every year to run this marathon. It's called the Marine Corps People's Marathon in Washington, D.C. And I'm like, Oh, I've never been to one of these. I'm going to come down and cheer you on. And and we did. And I see this big truck of a man like crushing a marathon. I'm like, dude. And then you see the Marine putting the medal on him at the end and yeah. saluting him. Oh, oh, dude. Yeah. That's I, got, I got chills right now. You're saying that. It's amazing. I, like, I mean, oh. I want to do the Marine Corps just for well, that. And also we were moving along the course, hitting, hopping on all the subways. So I'm getting like, I'm getting the tour of DC in a whole different and way. And you're seeing all the veterans running. Yeah. And, and oh yeah. There's, there's and all you running can think of is what the hell is your excuse, right? Thank you. Okay. You get me. I'm like sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a sidelines guy. I'm sitting there like, right. uh, so when he right. got done. Right. When we, the guy with one leg goes by and you're like, you. what the hell is my yeah, excuse? The amputees. Right? Yep. No, not just that. Amputee in full fatigues with, with a pack. pack. Yeah. Doing, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. I was like, all right, dude, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to do this with you. Nice. Because what inspired me, this is my point, there's always a, a trigger of inspiration or motivation. And what inspired me was I didn't know that he was running for one of his old college buddies who had died due a, mm -hmm. to a hospital mistake, he, uh, something with his brain uh, down in Philadelphia. Went into the hospital, they, they didn't catch something, and the kid died. While they were in college, they were like roommates. And I'm like, what? Wow. So they, so this kid's, uh, so this guy's uh, brother 
runs, his father runs, my buddy John runs. I'm like, dude, you guys are inspirational. And I, and I came down and I wore one of the shirts and we, we created awareness for, I was like, dude, I, it was so powerful. I had to go back. I'm like, I'm coming back next year and I'm running with you. <laughs> so that was my trigger to do that. Um, that's why I was kind of saying like, you know, sometimes people need to have like, what is the trigger? And I think people need to figure that out. Like, what is the what that's going to help, you know, amplify your why to do these things? You know, you don't have to be crazy like us. <laughs> just- you don't have to be crazy, but you just have to like it. it and, and, and here's the thing. Like, this is this is the whole point of of my book is that we all have a calling, right? We all have something that's bigger than us. Maybe it's a business we want to build or a family we want to grow or a, a, a race we want to run. There's like something that we care about. And we we get it wrong because we think calling has to be purpose. It's like lofty purpose, like we're curing cancer and we're saving the we're, we're saving the, the whales. And the truth is that your purpose really only has to be your purpose, right? So your purpose might be doing work that's flexible so that you can get out early so that you can train for your marathon. Your purpose can be doing a job you hate because it pays you enough money to buy the Maserati and the beach house because that's what you care about. Your purpose might be working for the nonprofit organization because you care about the cause, but all that has to be is your purpose. And we're all inspired by different things. Mm. And you know, my message behind the book, like, again, I spent 25 years helping people find work in nonprofit organizations. So clearly I care deeply about this thing. Um, But my, the message behind the book is that your purpose, like nobody gets a vote in your life that shouldn't have one. And we end up giving votes to people who shouldn't even have voices in our lives. And so whatever your inspiration is, maybe it's that you're running for a fallen colleague. Maybe it's you're running because you want to lose a hundred pounds. Maybe you're running because, you know, you've got mental illness and that's how you deal with it. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons and there's all kinds of, um, there's all kinds of influences, but your inspiration only has to be yours and we don't have to justify it to anybody else. No, and I love that. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I've been, I've been doing screen sharing this whole time while she was telling all this. So also, obviously, this book is definitely on Amazon. I was just showing that uh, for the regular listeners. When you use the Amazon banner on livethefield.com, it goes to my influencer page. Her book's already added to the book recommendations of every author that we've had on the show. So she's right there in the forefront. Um, I just wait to show that off. But also, real quick, since I'm already screen sharing, uh, your words, like you just dropped again. Uh, I love the fact that I love how Amazon works because people buy books and then Amazon is smart enough to run an algorithm and see how different books are being aligned and bought together. And sure enough, you're up against, you know, Michelle Obama. And then I didn't even know this girl. I mean, so that was like, oh, when you Rachel, did this Hollis. Rachel Hollis has two New York times bestselling books right now. Right? She's amazing. I'm like, Oh, I looked at it this morning. I was like, Oh, hi. Me yeah. and Because last week, frequently bought together was my book and Michelle Obama's, which was pretty cool. This week we got a new friend. They added Rachel Hollis. So it's the three of us are being sold in a package deal together. I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of a good problem to have. Hey girl. You know, like, <laughs> oh, sorry, you're a double New York Times bestseller and I'm just happy to be getting purchased along with you. Okay. No problem. And you know, Michelle, who's sold 10 million copies of her book. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I'm back on speaking because you're a speaker. I mean, come on. Who The top paid speakers in the world right now are Michelle and her husband. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty incredible. They they have defeated the Clintons. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, they're pretty great. And I, but I will tell you that my biggest, my, one of my biggest girl crushes is Malala. And I actually spoke Mm. at an event with her a couple weeks ago in Canada. And I, I actually asked her for a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I took one. We took a selfie together. It's on my Instagram page. Um, but yeah, Michelle and I, I took me and me and Malala. I was like, okay. 
were you yeah. expecting yourself to react that way or no? No, okay. no. And I, you know, I was 21 years old when I was working in the Clinton White House. And so, you know, when you're 21 years old and you spend time in the Oval Office briefing the president of the United States about things, you don't get you don't get flustered around a lot of people. But Malala, I mean, it's pretty that powerful. was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was on the Today Show a couple months ago. I'm going to be on Good Morning America in a couple of weeks. Like none of that stuff is intimidating at all. But yeah, Malala, I got a little goofy. And even in the picture, I look like I'm like all like spoon. I'm like schoolgirl swoony. But, but you know, that's real. He's Malala. I'm, I'm right She's amazing. That. Yeah. And by the way, I'm just doing a quick time check. I know we're at the end of our slot. Are you OK for a couple of minutes? I'm good. OK, because I know you've been on like a podcast fiend today. So. <laughs> yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is literally her fourth podcast today and my fourth podcast today. And it's only Monday. <laughs> it's only Monday. It's only Monday. Um, so so historically, just we're on this tangent, a little side quest. Is that like one of the first and only public crushes that you kind of like spontaneously launched? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm kind of a dork. Like if, if, <laughs> if like Brad Pitt or George Clooney walked up to me, I probably wouldn't care. But like. People in like public policy and politics, like I'm a uh, big democracy nerd. So okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm the fact that Malala has, has, has had this life that she's lived in the public for the public good is just pretty amazing to me. If I ever saw Michelle Obama and she and I were wearing sleeveless, I would see if I can get her to like rock the guns. Oh, together. you guys, oh, yeah. you two and, uh, and sorry, what's her name? Uh, the, the and Carrie. Pilot. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, we would just be like, there should be Girl. like a sleeveless trifecta. I mean, oh, yeah. man, imagine if you three. We're panelists on the same stage. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> well, I would be completely uh, under be, the table because I would be, be so fucking epic, overwhelmed. Right? Like, let's let, let's add a side quest, and maybe you end up organizing an event down the road here, and you invite them to come speak with you. I don't know. Just throwing it out could ideas. Be amazing. It could listen. Here's I'd buy my a ticket thing. for that. <laughs> I feel like Oprah Winfrey has to pick somebody to be under the oak tree with her on a Super Soul Sunday. Yeah, what's up with Why that? Not me. Yeah, there you go. Someone's got to be there. She's got to pick somebody. She loves books and authors, right? I mean, she loves books and authors <laughs> and she loves books about being limitless. And yeah, so, you know, stranger things have happened. Well, speaking of limitless and, and, and helping people, um, I love the fact also, I didn't really dig too deep into it, but real, actually real quick, there's two things. One, uh, philanthropy. Okay. Big fan. Uh, two, since you're talking about uh, your geek about politics, I love the fact that because I, I actually asked for quotes to go into the blog content when we put the episode up, and you're you guys uh, provided an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, and I actually haven't had somebody share this with me in years. I wanted to read this on the show for uh, since you provided it, but apparently one of your favorite ones is you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You're able to say to yourself, "I have lived through this horror." I can take the next thing that comes along and you must do the thing you think you cannot do. And I love it because that's, I can't wait to have my team put that into the show notes. Uh, but you clearly like, why is that one one of your top ones? Besides the fact, obviously you wrote a book with limitless, but it's totally tied together here. Well, I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt is just the original badass. She's like mm -hmm. the OG. There's yeah. just there's nobody who is tougher and who 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 knocked down barriers in the way that she did. And uh, you know, my my second favorite quote from Eleanor Roosevelt is we would worry less about what other people thought of us if we realized how little they did. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? So all the time that we're like, oh my God, I can't do it. What are people going to think about me? Oh no, they're not going to think about you. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> they're 
they're all so busy worrying about themselves, just like you're so busy worrying about yourself. Yeah. Nobody's going to notice. Um, so I, I often turn to Eleanor for, for inspiration when I'm trying to think of these things. But I think that this quote, um, I think that it really embodies a lot of what I've stood for during my life, which is that we are made of such tougher stuff than we know. And it's not until we get to that wall that we realize that we have multitudes within us. And I think especially so for women, because women um, end up getting saddled with additional societal burdens. We get addition, we, you know, we, we have other expectations that are on us that are just different from men. And we also get lots of on-ramps and off-ramps, whether or not we want to have children or whether or not we want to change careers. I mean, there's other we get we get strapped with a lot of burdens, but we also get opportunities that are there that men don't necessarily get because people expect them to be sort of steady along the same path. Um, and I think that if we don't do the thing that we think we cannot do, if we listen to everybody else saying you should and you need and you must do all these things, or my favorite, oh, you can't do that, right? Mm. We end up getting limited by everybody else's ambitions or desires or risks or anxiety or fears. And I think in those limits, we lose ourselves. So I think if we don't face fear and do the thing we cannot do, I think we lose ourselves and, and, and the, the, you know, our greatness in those moments. I, I couldn't, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say it any better. I mean, obviously you've learned a lot over the years. We all, we both have, but I, you're crushing it right now. I mean, I, I also just, I, again, I wanted to throw this in here that I love the fact that you chose through your business activities and everything you're doing that you're not just trying to target and work with entrepreneurs and investors, but you are targeting, you know, uh, philanthropists. I mean, that's, that's a huge piece. Like I know a lot of people I've met through, you know, just connecting and networking over the years. And some people are afraid to align too heavily on the philanthropy front, maybe because they're afraid, you know, maybe bills can't get paid, so to speak, right? Like, you know, you're not always getting paid with some of these relationships. Some are, it's an interesting target. And I've always aligned myself with that. And it goes back to your point where you, you were originally going to name the book, something about purpose, right? And then mm -hmm. you went with Limus and said, well, I think we're all looking for a little bit of purpose. So I tell people like, why not align yourself with organizations that are putting together that purpose? And then you don't have to kind of create it. You're just aligned with it. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah. And your purpose doesn't have to necessarily even be aligned with philanthropic stuff. Like I said, your purpose can be buying the beach house and the Maserati. Like that's yeah. totally cool if that's your purpose. But, but, you know, there are, so in, in Limitless, I talk about how your consonants, the, your alignment, your flow has to come from four things. And it's, it's calling connection, contribution, and control. And calling, as I said, is this sort of bigger thing that, that you care about. Um, connection is the, the daily work that you're doing, whether or not that actually matters. How, how much can you see a direct line between the work that you're doing on a daily basis to that calling? Um, control is about how much personal agency do you have over how the, the, the calling, how you get from the calling to, uh, sorry, from the connection to the calling. Mm -hmm. uh, and then contribution um, is what is the work doing for you, right? So is through your work, are you able to um, afford the lifestyle that you want with the flexibility that you want? Are you able to have the velocity in your career trajectory or are you able to manifest your values on a daily basis? So it may be that you say, I care deeply about calling. I want to, my calling is this cause that I want to serve and I want to contribute to it. And I want to contribute to my life by being able to manifest working in those values. Or you may say, I care about that calling, but really the way I want to contribute to it is I want to make a lot of money in my corporate job so that I can donate money to that cause. True. Or you may say, I actually like working for this company 
I don't really necessarily love the work I do on a daily basis. It's not a lot of connection, but boy, it allows me to manifest my values by working for a company that's doing things that are good for the environment or something because we've got this good green policy, even though we're you know a for-profit company. So I think that there are a lot of different ways where you can manifest your purpose through your work, whether it's philanthropic work or corporate work. And even if you say what I want to do is purely philanthropic work, there's plenty of jobs in the philanthropic sector that play lot, that pay lots and lots of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are there are six figure salaries that are available in the nonprofit sector, just like there are very small salaries available in the corporate sector. Yeah, a lot of people forget that. I mean, as these organizations, I mean, in the end, a five hundred one c three is still a corporation. It's just a different uh, legal classification. I should know because I just applied for my own. And I had to do all the IRS paperwork and stuff. So but I'm like, it's still whether it's LLC or you know you have you know you have investments, whatever. It's just another form of a corporation. And to your point, yep. organizations that are massive and worldwide reaching, like Red Cross, in order to facilitate facilitate that level of worldwide impact, you need to have well paid people helping run the show. So that's why people do get paid. People still complain about them. Like it's okay, you're running a worldwide organization. You've got to have people that actually are paid well to do it. I don't know. I mean, I don't. Yeah, mind. I've I've had I've had clients during my search days that were like, oh well, it's a it's a it's a nonprofit, so of course they should they should earn less money. And I was like, oh really? Like, would you they're take still, this job for the less money? Like, oh no no no. I'm like, well, I said I said okay. I said well, let me let me show you the people that you could afford for the hundred fifty thousand dollars salary. Mm-hmm. Now let me show you the people that you can afford for the seventy five thousand dollars salary. Which okay. one would you like to run your seven million dollar organization? And they're like, oh well, those people, the seventy five thousand, clearly they're not qualified. I'm like, okay. There you go. You've answered your own question, right? Like my grandfather used to say, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. So <laughs> it's up to you. Oh, I got to remember you, that one. You, pay you peanuts, as you the board monkeys. member are the steward of your donor's money. Do you want to trust your donor's money with this person or with that person? Hmm. Yeah. And there, and there is some responsibility tied to that, if right? There's like, fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you, are you people taking accountability for these uh, decisions? Yes. Very good point. Wow. Dude, we've had a great show today. I told you we're going to have some fun. So, oh, yeah, it's good. I'm hoping you guys. I, I can't wait to hear from you when you get through the editing of your book. Oh, it's, ha- it's half done. It's half done. I just finished three more chapters this weekend. So Nice. But, but then I took a break and went mountain biking. So life balance. <laughs> you like that. Well, listen, I uh, always have our guest co-hosts help close the show out. And you're so motivational and inspirational. I know it's not going to be hard for you. But I, I asked my guest co-hosts, like, hey, guys, like, what is an all-encompassing message? What are some final words you want to leave behind uh, for the listeners? I'm going to show it again on video because I actually have the book right here. There's Limitless People. Again, you can go to her site, which is hername.com. Or actually, again, you actually have another website too, which is all the same branding basically. But what do you prefer? People going to yourname.com? Yeah, well, so all my good friends call me LGO. So <laughs> um, they can if people can find me on all the socials at HeyLGO. And which is your Instagram. website, yep. HeyLGO.com is super easy to find me. Yeah, I love that. Because actually, I didn't notice that. I'm like, why does she have Hey LGO? But now I get it. Because your name is so long, you went with the initials. (laughs) Everyone calls me LGO. Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway, so on on those final words notes, I mean, anything you want to kind of sum it up with? Yeah, I would say that if if you take anything away from the show at all, I would say take away that failure is not finale, it's fulcrum. Mm. And failure is a place from which we learn and we grow and we thrive. And I was giving this talk about two months ago – uh, in Austin at Renaissance Weekend, and there was an astronaut in the audience, and this astronaut had done three different spacewalks. And at one point, I was like, "Except for you, sir, <laughs> failure for you would most definitely be finale. But for the rest of us walking around on terra firma, 
unless you are attached to an oxygen tether, failure is fulcrum. It is the place from which we grow and we learn and we discover more things about ourselves. And we realize that success might not have looked like what we expected success to look like when we first took the, took the first step, hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's not success. And so I would urge people to understand that failure is not finale. It's just fulcrum. I just wrote that down because I'm going to use that. I love it. Failure is the fulcrum people. Okay. So listen, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to give you a proper goodbye off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, again, guys, it's going to be all over Amazon. Everything's going to be linked in the show notes. Again, limitless. Get the book. Okay. I mean, just try something new. And by the way, it's available on audio too. So, <laughs> but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging with us. We're here to fuel your health, your business, your lifestyle. Uh, check her out. Make sure you, if I'm already following her, make sure you follow her at Hey LGO on Instagram if you're an Insta feed. But if not, again, all of our other social medias will be linked in the show notes on LiveTheFuel.com as well. So again, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. Laura helped us do that today. So again, guys, thanks. And you too can live the fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.